You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I feel like it's the 1980s. When I observe, when I watch, when I participate in a White Sox game this week, the last couple of days reminds me of the 80s. Dude, dude, it is the 1980s. It's radical, man. Ronald Reagan's in the White House. I'm still reeling over who shot JR. I'm wondering if there's going to be a Ghostbusters 2 or any other Star Wars (laughs) movies ever made. Yeah, that's what it feels like right now. Like, radical, man. I took my eight-year-old to the game on Monday where they just got shellacked. By the Mariners. Yeah, I mean, I got two teenagers, and when I take them to the game, that's when I find out everything that's going on in their life. But when you get the little guy, brings his glove, he's preparing himself for the possibility of catching a foul ball, he wants to go to the kid's zone, he wants to eat a bunch of sweets, he figures he's there, he's going to eat whatever whatever he asks for. Like, I, There's a point where I tell him no, but early on, I'm like, pick out what you really want, we're going to get to it at some point. I mean, the kid is there for the entire experience, right? But I took a picture of him in the ballpark, sitting in the stands when we got there. After pre-gaming, of course, over at Cork and Carey at the park, because bring the whole family over before the game. Great seating, great food. I, I had the Latino burger. It's spectacular. It, it's, it's a burger on a pretzel bun that's got chorizo on it. And, and then also there's some, uh, some avocado on that thing. There's a, there's a spicy mayo on it. It's really good. And he got himself a grilled cheese, got himself a bunch of French fries, a couple of Cokes. The waitress was really nice to him. And, and he got to sit in the high table. And he was like, he was like a big guy at eight years old. Yeah. Yeah. Pre-gaming yeah. at 33rd in Princeton, the official sponsor of Socks in the Basement, Cork and Carry at the park. But then we get in there and he's sitting there. He gets, he gets no introduction fireworks. They, they don't shoot any off. He's sitting in an empty section all by himself. Not one person in the section besides him and me. And the White Sox are down 3 nothing before they record the first out of the first inning. And I step out into the aisle to take a picture of him. He is not posing. I, I did not tell him to make a face. And I just snap his natural reaction, and I put that up on Twitter, and the thing goes nuts. And White Sox fans are all saying the same thing. I feel bad for him. Because I think most White Sox fans feel like it's just the same thing coming around again. Right, Ed? It's the same thing. We've got Jerry Reinsdorf, just like in the 80s, telling you that he may move the team. That's what was happening on that exact same day. On the same day where I'm sitting there with probably about 6,000 people that were actually in the place. I don't care what they say was paid attendance. That's probably what was in the place. There were spider webs over the first row, Ed. I'm not kidding. Spider webs? The usher walked through the first row to bring us a menu because we were up in the 300 level. And as she's walking over, she walked through a massive spider web that was covering multiple seats in the first row. That's how bad it is. We now have a stadium that's being so barely used was by Scooby-Doo fans. Was Scooby-Doo and Shaggy, were they investigating a mystery in the 500 level? I mean, how abandoned <laughs> is this place right now? <laughs> that's what it was like. There's spider webs. And as we're sitting there in the fifth inning, the spider started recreating the web, and we were watching that because it was more intense than the game. Oh, yeah. That's that's way more interesting than whatever was going on in the field at that time. Yeah, he's like, that spider's putting the web back together, Dad. I'm like, yes, he is, son. 
welcome to the ballpark. <laughs> That's his experience this week at the game. And yeah, we had fun. You know, he's a little kid. We laughed. We made fun of the team a lot. We made a lot of fun of this team. He was like, man, they're bad. I'm like, they are. They are. They got a couple of ball players. Like, we, there was one inning where I went around and I said, this is a ball player. This isn't a ball player. I was like, Andrew Benintendi, professional ball player. Uh, Luis Robert Jr., he's a superstar. Uh, the guy in right, Colas, I don't know what he's going to be. The guy over at first sheets, he ain't going to be anything. Really. He's only here because he's left-handed. I went around and explained it to him. I was like, the guy at second, Lenin Sosa, I just want him to have a chance. I just want him in the lineup so we can see what he is because the season is lost. But I don't know what he's going to be. The shortstop, Andros, who's in there right now because of Anderson's suspension, he's old and he's just on a heater the last couple of weeks. But I don't know why he's in the lineup normally. I, I don't get that anymore. The guy at third base is terrible, I told him. I was like, he's like, really? I'm like, and he, he's making $25 million next year. And the kid looks at me with this look of awe and he goes, how is that possible? I'm like, because the guy in charge of the team's a moron. Now that guy and the other guy up there at the top in the front office got fired the next day, but this was Monday. I'm like, the guy who's behind the plate, he goes, what is he? I'm like, he used to be good. Kind of falling off, getting old. I don't think he's on the team next year. So again, I don't know why he's playing. And he just kind of looks at me and he goes, well, why are they such a mess? I said, again, the people in charge. And of course, those guys are gone now, right? Kenny Williams is gone. Rick Hahn is gone. We were jubilant on the last show, although you did hear James Fox tell you, watch out for Dayton Moore and Chris Getz. And he actually recorded that with us before Bob Nightingale comes out with a report the next morning after the firings that those are the guys that Jerry Reinstorf is leaning towards. He wants you to renew your season tickets. He wants you to be excited about the fact those two guys are gone. And then after that's all over, at some point in the next couple of weeks, he's just going to name Getz the GM and Dayton Moore's walking through that door. But now I'm not so sure. I always assumed that whenever Bob Nightingale wrote something, it came directly from Jerry. But there were times it also felt like it could have come from Kenny. Who knows who he was talking to and what context it was in? Nightingale's not always right. He just was right about the LaRusa thing, and that's why we're all saying, uh-oh. It could have been somebody else telling him. There could have been another reason for that rumor. It may not be done yet. I really hope it's not done yet. I think it's more likely that it's one of two things. Either that comment came from Jerry, who Tony's got his ear too, right? So maybe that's Tony's idea sitting there going, you know, Getz has got a good head on his shoulders, and I always like Dayton more. You know, and I think he can I think he can help you out. And Jerry's sitting there going, yeah, Dayton Moore and Chris Getz, okay. You know, those, those are probably the front runners right now. And and he says it not really thinking about, like, what that means in the grand scheme of the of the story. Or it's someone stirring up the pot on the way out. And, and it's somebody sitting there saying, it's going to be Getz and it's going to be Dayton Moore. Because if you think about what the most disappointing outcome would be for Sox fans, it's promoting Chris Getz and it's not bringing in somebody from an organization where – uh, you know, there's a rich history of winning right now, but bringing in Dayton Moore of the Royals, who oversaw, you know, just as many terrible years as, as the Royals have had, it, it, you know, and, and is not someone that you sit there and look at and go, he's going to bring something brand new to this. And as far as Pedro is concerned, yeah, if I'm Pedro, I'm pushing for the guys that are going to keep me employed. I am not pushing for somebody to come in and, and really look at, at hard at what I'm doing as Pedro Grafal as the manager here. I'm looking for whoever's going to sit there and say, 
I know you, I know you could do better. Let's put together a better squad and see what you can do with that. And, and is willing to give him some leash. That said, if it is Chris Getz and Dayton Moore, I don't know that Pedro's job is all that safe because they could just sit there and turn around and go, we got to do something completely different here and, you know, get rid of everything that has gone on and everything that has gone bad, not just scraping Rick's name off the door and, and slapping Chris's name on, which I'm sure at this point is probably just on like, you know, one of those uh, sticky things that you put on the, the like a window cling kind I of I imagine thing. him like putting like his name up there with one of those old label makers. Remember where you'd punch it into the label making gun and then you'd stick it up yeah. on the door and it's just in little little letters like Chris Getz. And it's just like it's put up on the door right. That's that's how I imagined it going down. My dad got a call from his ticket agent last week. What kind of a drinking problem do the ticket agents have these days? I'm wondering. He he got offered a chance to go and sit down and hang out with AJ Pierzynski. That's what he was offered. Just out of the blue, do you want to meet AJ, you and a small group of other season ticket holders, and just hang out and talk White Sox? And my dad turned him down. And the guy was in shock, and he goes, I know what you're doing. And like, I would love to meet AJ Pierzynski. I would love to talk about 2005, but I'm just going to show up, and you're going to try to tell me that I should continue watching this mess without telling me what's going to get fixed. AJ will be here, but we want you to sit through this short presentation first. <laughs> it's it's like, like a timeshare. It, it was like, yeah, you're going to get four free tickets to Disney World. You just have to sit in this conference room for three hours while we try to sell you a set of pots and pans. That's what it feels like, right, when they do that? And he just looked at him. He's like, no, nah, nah, that's okay. Give it to somebody else. That's the problem they're having right now. Don't think the big guy isn't getting projections from somebody about where things are going, not only this year, but going in the next year with the lack of renewals. I know there are people that are diehards that are going to keep going, but it's going to be down and it's going to be down considerably. You talk to the vendors, you talk to the ushers, you talk to the people working in the ballpark. They're nervous about whether or not they're going to even be needed next year. Because they see it happening. They talk to people on the ground floor. I know the Nightingale article said that attendance was down. And that's one of the reasons why you see Williams and Hahn out the door. And I know the White Sox may think they can just put Getz in there. They can just bring in Dayton Moore. Everything's forgotten. Those two guys are gone. Everything's going to work out fine now. Don't worry about it. Renew now. Dad's still not buying it. His message right now to his guy is, I want to see who you put in charge. I think most fans, no matter how long Jerry waits, should do the exact same thing. That music means the Sox nerd is here. Once a week, we hear from Dave Marin, who also sits up in the White Sox scoreboard, not actually in it. He's in a room controlling it, though, putting up all those amazing tidbits that you see on the screen. And he is brought to you this week by Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. If you're in the market for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, you want to go to Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. No high-pressure sales. They're not in your kitchen, your living room, on your deck, trying to show you a window while you're jumping in the pool. Those people are annoying. Go to Window and Door Superstore in their showroom. See everything right there on display, full size, all the etchings, no leaping through a magazine. The owner's in the showroom. There's also one on site, all of their own installers. They don't farm out the work. They've been doing it that way for 40 years with all major brands, custom made with no stock items for a perfect fit. They're a half block east 
of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street in Oak Forest. See more at windowdooroakforest.com. Nerd, what's up? What do you got for me? Chris, what does the Sox nerd do when things are as discombobulated as they are right now? Well, I continue to display positive situational stats and nuggets on the board, but I'll admit it, my mind and research tends to wander. This week, for example, the oppressively hot weather sent me on an expedition, and I discovered that Wednesday's and Thursday's games didn't even come close to being the hottest home games in Sox history. That honor goes to a 3-1 to loss to Detroit on July 3rd, 1948, where the Comiskey Park thermometer read 106 degrees at first pitch. I probably was the only guy cheering for higher temperatures last week. I've also been fascinated by Trace Thompson's career splits. How can this guy be hitting 333 in August, but only 199 in the rest of the month combined? It stays weird, too, next month. Thompson has hit 13 homers in September. His next highest monthly total is eight. What's going on there? How about Corey Lee? I'm happy to see the Sox are giving one of their catching prospects some PT, but I was even happier to find out that Lee was behind the plate for two of Andrew Vaughn's 10 pitching performances at Cal in 2017. I haven't even put that one on the board yet. Thursday's walk-off, where the Sox won on an error, gave me a little rabbit hole to jump down as well. That was the Sox 228th walk-off win in their current home, but just their 12th without an RBI. The Sox owned six walk-offs via the wild pitch, five by air, and one by balk. And Chris, when that pass ball walk-off win comes, we're doing a whole show on it. Returning to earth, it will be fun to watch Luis Robert chase history in the final month. The Sox all-star is four steals from joining Magli Ordonez as the only players in franchise history with 30 doubles, 30 homers, and 20 steals in a season. Mags did it in 2001. In addition, the White Sox have never had a player win a gold glove and a silver slugger award in the same season. Robert is certainly in the mix for both of those awards. My zinger? Tuesday, August 22nd was the first time since October 6, 1991, the White Sox played a game without the departed Ken Williams as a member of the organization. On that Sunday in Seattle, 11,643 days ago, the Sox closed the season with a 3-2 win thanks to homers from Matt Marullo and Dan the Hammer Pasqua. The next year, Kenny, who finished his career with Montreal in 1991, joined the Sox, and you know the rest. That's it, Chris. More than you ever wanted to know about hot weather, Trace Thompson splits, non-RBI walk-offs, and Matt Marullo. That's the Sox nerd Dave Marin right there, and I know some of you are thinking to yourself, I wonder if he's going to run the scoreboard down in Nashville. Don't forget, that was also something that happened this week. Jerry Reinsdorf suggesting that he needs a new stadium. And the idea of it makes me laugh out loud, Ed. Oh, no, no, I don't laugh. I don't laugh. You don't laugh? I don't laugh. Because he's got a few years left on the lease. Six. Before he can really move? He's got six. He's 87. So 93. The Tampa Bay Rays. Yeah? Only have a few more years left on their lease with Tropicana Field. You know what, Jerry? Take your franchise, leave the White Sox name in history, take your franchise and go be the Nashville Stars. Good luck with that. Because I want Tampa, I want the Rays to come up here. And be the White Sox? bring their history along too. And operate like they've been operating in that in that desolate pit of despair that is Tropicana Field with no fans and no TV market. Come up here. It's the third biggest market. We will show up. I would, I would absolutely show up for a White Sox team that was made up of the Tampa Bay Rays roster and minor league system and continuous forms of success and then give them a little extra money because they can make money in Chicago. I mean, are you kidding? Jerry, pack your bags and go. 
He doesn't give up the name. He isn't moving. Listen, he isn't moving. It's just like the 1980s, like I said at the beginning of the show. Back in the 80s, and here's the thing. It's going to be a generational thing. Older White Sox fans that can remember the first time he pulled this. When he was going to go be the Tampa Bay Rays, right. by the way. He, that was the plan. That If you were old enough to remember it, you laughed at this whole notion that he may move. That he, he may go someplace else. The, he's just using the same playbook 40 or 30 years later. That That's what he's doing. And the playbook was, I'm going to move. If you don't give me a stadium and a sweetheart deal, I'm taking this team away from the city of Chicago. Little Chris Lanuti, a little bit older than eight years old, like my son was the other night. Although in 1985, it looked pretty much the same in the ballpark as it did this week when I took him. And that's when Just I was a lot eight. more red, white and blue. Right, exactly. But little Chris Lanuti walked around his neighborhood in the Ashburn neighborhood, St. Dennis Parish with a survey that he had printed up on his brand new Apple IIc computer and got signatures for weeks and sent the signatures down to the uh, the state house. I gave them to my, my local state representative who read them into the record because I was trying to get enough people to sign enough signatures to say we have to keep the White Sox on the south side of Chicago. In the end, what Jerry Reinsdorf did is scare a White Sox fan base so badly that he was going to take away their team and convince a Tampa Bay that he was coming so much they built a stadium without even having a team. Like he bamboozled everyone and he did it so that politicians would have pressure put on them by their constituents so they would give him a sweetheart deal where he barely pays for anything and gets the entire stadium uh, built basically with taxpayer dollars. Very minimal, if anything, was put in by Jerry Reinstorf. And I call your attention to an article a ways back in Cigar Aficionado magazine of all places where Reinstorf brags, and I quote, a savvy negotiator creates leverage People had to think we were going to leave Chicago. He did it so he could get the sweetheart deal. And the deal is running out and he needs a new one. Well, and that, that's that's the key right there. Right. He needs a new deal. So he wants to he, scare no, he, he doesn't want to lease anymore. He doesn't want to lease anymore. That's He's jealous. The Ricketts family are not leasing Wrigley Field. The Bears, Kevin Warren is going to every single suburb and he's strong-arming the mayor of Chicago to get the Bears their own stadium that they're going to own, right? They've already started tearing down the Arlington Park racetrack, even though they're pro- you know they're acting like they're not going to put a stadium up there, but they own that land. And Jerry's sitting there going, "Why am I still? Why am I still leasing my properties? Why am I still paying paying for this stuff?" He's going to try and do that so that he can be what these other sports franchises are. And I think it's I think it's driving him nuts because it also you know you talk about him selling the team. Or you know, passing it on to his family, or, or whatever he's going to do, it's the same thing that it's the same conversation that that everybody had with well, what's wrong with Soldier Field, what's wrong with the Bears staying there. Well, part of it is is that if you're valuing the franchise, the franchise is way more valuable if they own the real estate that the, the team plays on, or they own real estate in general. Okay, and if the McCaskey family decides to sell the Bears, whether or not they actually build a stadium on the Arlington Park property, they own that property, and whoever buys it can take over the fight with Arlington Heights over the taxes and take over the fight with Cook County over the property taxes, which is what's holding that up. Jerry's looking at that going, I'll take my ball and go. I'll do, I'll do the Nashville thing. I was bluffing. I wasn't bluffing 40 years ago. 
I, I, I'm 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 going to do it this time. I'm really going to do it this time. I'm really going to do it. Nashville's ready. They've been they've been begging for a team for years. Yeah, he's not going there. He's not he's not going there. He just wants the right deal. And he's not going to Aurora. No. And he's not going to Naperville. No. And he's not. You know, these places are not set up for, you know, eighty to a hundred games in a baseball season. If you know, if you have a deep run, they're not set up necessarily. The places that you can get this land is not built up enough to where it's easy to get to for concerts and all the all the stuff that happens at the venues. The reason why Wrigley works is because it, it is te- it, it's still in a neighborhood, so to speak, even though it's been built up to be bars and restaurants and whatnot around it and not so much housing. Uh, you're not going to have that at the current location at 35th and Shields, and you're not going to get any better with that if you're moving into you know a spot in the South Loop or if you're moving into Naperville where... You know, it's hard to get to Naperville as it is. It's hard to get to Aurora as it is. These places are far away. He's not going to do any better, and he knows that. But he doesn't own his stadium. He leases it. And he doesn't want to be beholden to somebody. So I think this is going to be an effort to strong arm basically the purchase of the area, as much of the area around the stadium as he can get his hands on at the cheapest price possible and probably also show up Kevin Warren of the Bears and show that he knows how to handle the property tax issue because Warren walked into that one and, and took it on the chin right away as soon as Churchill Downs sold it to the Bears. Here's the thing. It, it's clearly just a threat that's being made for negotiation tactics, and it's six years in advance. And the thing that sucks about it is it sucks for the business owners around the ballpark that it's just one more thing they got to sit around and worry about. Because this billionaire doesn't care about anybody but himself. He doesn't care about the fans. And he definitely doesn't care about the other people who he has a symbiotic relationship with around the ballpark. And, and it, so to me, the whole thing is just, it's just I don't know, it, 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 there's something icky about it, and dirty about it, and typical billionaire uh, way of thinking. And you know, well, like I said, it, it, it's Ricketts and McCaskey. We're the peons, and he, he, wants, he wants his deal the way it is. I don't buy it. Look, I'm sorry. Anybody that's worried about this team moving, you're worrying too much. We've already seen this movie before. We watched it back in the 80s. And you know what? I'll make you a promise. If Jerry Reinstorf really moves the team to Nashville, Jerry, I'm coming too. I'm bringing socks in the basement because I'm not letting you get <laughs> We're going to be right there with no, you, I'm family. Coming. I'm moving the whole family there. Six years from now, the little guy will be ready to start high school. He won't be bothered by a move. The other two will be gone. They'll be out of my house. It'll be real easy. I'm packing up the whole studio. I'll rebuild the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Maybe we'll make it 12 feet long or something like that. Who knows? And we'll we'll get our own new stadium, and I'll go down to Nashville. Everybody seems to want to go there. There's so many people on the south side who tell me, like, I'm thinking about getting out of Illinois. I keep looking at a place down in Tennessee. I'm going to jump on the old Nashville train and go down there. And, and by then, if we've been around for six years, this thing will be so big by then watching the growth year after year after year, I'll be able to buy billboards welcoming my cheap owner to Nashville and telling him we aren't going anywhere. Socks in the basement will just continue to harass you from here. But he ain't going anywhere, so I'm not worried about it. Socks in the basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the south side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota 
and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. There's a lot of people trying to defend Pedro right now. Like, oh, this wasn't his fault. This was the two guys that were in the front offices, the team that they built. He just got in there. You know, don't be so quick to want him out the door. I listened to this guy the other day say there's no difference between the guy who bats first and the guy who bats ninth, that it's that it's irrelevant. And that's crazy because the guy that bats up at the top of the order gets 150 more chances to contribute to your team in a year on average than the guy who bats ninth. You do put your better players up top. You put your lesser hitters down towards the bottom. Everybody does that. Stop trying to reinvent baseball. Because when you say things like that, that's when I sit there and say, you're not a good manager. You know, forget the frustration, because he's so frustrating to listen to. And I think all of us as fans wish we had somebody who said, yeah, that stunk. You know, we know it stinks. Come out and say that it stinks. That's why Ozzy was so endearing to so many White Sox fans. For his good and his bad, you know, his positives and his negatives, at least you knew what was on his mind And if something ridiculous happened out there on the field, he told you that he saw it too. Pedro doesn't do that, and so I don't think a lot of fans like him. And and I can see the argument of, well, it's not all his fault, but when I hear stuff like that, like how the nine-hitter is the same as the one-hitter, La Russa tried that crap too. We all made fun of him for that. That is not true. That's bad baseball. That tells me you're not very smart when it comes to strategy on a baseball diamond. Well, and and you're you're underestimating what fans already know. I mean— there's a lot of fans who have been through Little League and understand that that's not how a lineup is constructed. But that's the kind of thing that, that like your Little League coach would say is, oh, well, you know, it, it's okay. It doesn't matter if you're batting ninth or batting first. I expect the best from all of you, and yeah. you're all going to be <laughs> contributors in the end. And, 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 you know, you're all really important parts of this team. I mean, I could I could sit there and say I understand some, you know, I understand somewhat him saying that we don't look for – a difference in our approach from the person who's hitting first to the person who's hitting ninth. If you want to be, if you want to clarify it, Pedro, by all means that, you know, you're saying that you, you expect the same out of the one through nine hitters, if that's the way you're doing it, but don't say there's no difference because like you said, we know that there's a difference. Anybody who grew up watching baseball, you know that there's a difference. There, there's a reason why, you know, you would see the light hitting middle infielder who who had not even warning track power batting ninth laying down bunts and just trying to move guys along and and your leadoff hitter was the dynamic base stealing you know 30 30 threat and that that's you know that's it's just you don't you're not going to sell us on that one pedro's a guy that needs the date more chris gets thing to be real that's his best chance of sticking around and I'm not, I'm not really sure if it's going to be what the rumor is, right? Again, I have no idea who fed that information. You assume it's Reinsdorf, but it could have also been Williams because he always had Nightingale's ear as well. And there could actually be a search going on. And it may not be this, this negative, terrible, awful idea of bringing in a guy who basically was just like Kenny Williams. Dayton Moore essentially caught lightning in a bottle too. 
put together a team for a very short amount of time that was very good, but most of those years were terrible. All right. And then having a guy who didn't accomplish very much at all with the minor league system. I mean, I saw something the other day where Bruce Levine said that Chris gets flourished in his role. I'm like flourished. Like they flourished, flourished. Did, did you see what that was ranked as that minor league system, how it was ranked before they made the trades they made a couple of weeks ago? Did you did did you notice all those players not being developed and guys getting to the major leagues not ready to go? I mean, he flourished. What did he flourish at? So, I mean, like there's this narrative out there that this could be a good thing. And and I don't I don't get the reasoning unless you have a guy like Reinsdorf who says, well, you know, the White Sox are terrible at what they do. And uh, the Royals seem to at least have a Royals way. Like, I mean, that's the weird thing. It's like it's like he knows something needs to be changed, but he's changing it to one of the the other bad teams in the league, how they do their stuff. Right. Like that's that's what's confusing to me about the whole thing. So I I don't know, man, I, I have I have no idea how this is going to go. I do wonder, did Jerry Reinsdorf clean out his front office and is he talking stadium and moving the stadium or getting a better lease or whatever he's doing right now? If you think about it, the stadium thing comes out. And within like 24, 48 hours, Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn are out, out the door. Did the old man sit down and say, I'm done, I want to sell. And so I need to clean up everything around here so that it is the most valuable organization that it could possibly be so I can bring in the most amount of money when I sell the team. I have to make sure they have a lease or a stadium deal or a new stadium or these options so I can sell. I, I felt that way. I really did. After I heard that Kenny Williams and Rick Hahn were fired, it started to feel like there might be a bigger picture thing here that we're all missing. Well, and, and that's that is a a very, very real thing, because, again, if you look at the playbook of what the Bears are doing, yeah, there's there's problems with Soldier Field, right? That, that's been well documented that, you know, the, the, the turf isn't very good. Uh, they have problems with the park district, the whole the whole thing that basically goes wrong on Sundays. But. At the same time, the whole reason by, behind buying Arlington Park for the Bears was you're looking at Virginia McCaskey, either the team going and being passed along to her heirs or being sold in advance of her death. And not that she's sick, not that she's dying today or tomorrow or anything like that, but she's just, she's elderly and they're, they're sort of planning for this, right? And, and you see this and you see even the fight with the Bears in the stadium and how they may just end up back in Chicago anyway and still owning all this property in the suburbs. And one, you might have Jerry sitting there being a little jealous of it, sitting there going, I want to own stuff and I don't want to have to have the Wurtz family as my partners. But the other part of it is, is that he might be sitting there going, okay, look, you know, how do I make this, this team, which by the way, worth a lot of money, the White Sox, how do I make this team even more attractive to a potential buyer so that I'm going to maximize the profits or so that if I step down pass my shares along to my my children, uh, what, what's going to make the most sense for them and what kind of a legacy am I going to leave financially for it? If that's the case, then yes, owning property, owning real estate is going to increase the value of the team. Getting rid of Rick Hahn and Kenny Williams isn't necessarily going to increase the value, but if it makes the fans happy and they do come back and they do renew their season tickets, it's going to increase the value of the team. Also, if just on the very basic fact of Jerry's looking at this going, the hell's wrong with you two? You were supposed to build me a winner with all of this stuff and you haven't built me anything. Get out of here. And and he really does have a vein of just disgust with what was going on on the field and going on in the clubhouse. 
and blaming Rick and Kenny for it. And if they are sitting there squabbling like they're Mo and Larry, not that Jerry's Shemp or Curly in this situation, but if they are sitting there squabbling, yeah, you know, you you take all of that and turn and you sit there and you say, this could be Jerry Reinsdorf building up to a point where the White Sox are worth a critical mass of money and going to look to sell off, going to look to make his his buck back after a, a 40 plus year investment and going off into the sunset. But in the same time, also being able to sit there and say his legacy as White Sox owner is at least one World Series and then leaving the team in a better, you know, in, in a better situation in terms of their stadium and having, you know, shown that he's a fan too by firing these two guys that absolutely disappointed the heck out of all the fans and trying to leave some kind of a legacy behind. I, I don't think that that's crazy at all. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.